In this week of Cougar Insiders podcast, we're going to give you a breakdown, a complete breakdown on the Arizona BYU game. We'll talk a little bit about recruiting and what impact this game had and can have and should have on recruits that are watching BYU's program very closely. We'll also be predicting and breaking down the Cal-BYU game, BYU's first home game of the season. It'll be that and more on this edition of the Cougar Insiders podcast. Hi, this is Dick Harmon along with Jeff Call and Brandon Gurney, two compatriots from the Deseret News. And we're back from University of Arizona in a football game there. We're going to be talking about the upcoming game against the Cal Bears, BYU, hosting them for the first home game. But first of all, we got to break down this game. And Jeff Call, uh, we were both there. We saw firsthand something that none of us in this room predicted, that BYU would go down there and win that game. A lot of hype about their Heisman Trophy candidate, uh, Khalil uh, Tate, a lot of people in the national media, us included, we did not think BYU would go down there and be able to to stop him from outscoring BYU's offense. But coming away from that game, I thought BYU took it to them, punched him in the mouth. Very impressive by BYU's offensive line. They had two redshirt freshmen starting in that game, and they, they were pretty dominating. They were, and you know, I kind of thought. I think I've said this before uh, in a previous episode that I thought the key to this season for BYU to really turn things around, or at least be competitive this season, was to be strong on the offensive and defensive lines. That's that's Kalani's mindset. That's what he wants to do with this program. And game one was the perfect example of that. I mean, they dominated pretty much on both sides of the ball, especially the offensive line. I mean, those guys were impressive, and like you said, they they were playing with guys that. Um, either had never played before at this level or had never played before with BYU. Uh, Tristan Hodge is another guy that uh, starter that uh, transferred from Notre Dame. And they just uh, they manhandled Arizona in every way you could. They imposed their will, and it was so impressive to see that. And then on the other side of the ball, um, what BYU did with Khalil Tate was so impressive. Corbin Kafusi kind of acting like a spy and, and containing him on the outside. And... Uh, they they just made him look like an average quarterback. We kept looking around going, where's this Heisman Trophy candidate we've been hearing about that's been hyped up, that's been on the cover of Sports Illustrated? And that guy wasn't there. And a lot of it, you have to give the credit to BYU's defense for the game plan and, and how they contain him. We had to feel for Tanner. Tanner came into this game with a lot of people questioning why he was the starter after hearing so much about Zach Wilson. He had a great fall uh, practice, and uh, yet... I don't think there was a lot of spectacular things that Tanner did, but he didn't hurt himself. He didn't throw any interceptions. There were no turnovers. He was a game manager. At one point right. in the third quarter, he had nine straight uh, completions, which completely took took the game into control. I would say Tanner Magnum has to be the happiest guy on earth. Yeah, he's. I think uh, he's back to smiling again, which we didn't see a whole lot from him last year. He's typically a pretty upbeat guy, and uh, he, he played great. I mean, I thought that, uh, like you said, he didn't do anything uh, that would – you know, make you think that he was a Heisman Trophy candidate, but uh, he he did manage the game well. He distributed the ball. I thought that's something he really did well. He got the ball to a lot of different receivers. Ten different guys caught passes, and then with that jet sweep, um, I think that really caught Arizona off guard. And uh, at least they didn't really know how to defend it very well because it, it was pretty successful. Just got a lot of guys involved in the offense, and again, that's something we didn't see last year. Tanner didn't have a whole lot of support. There weren't a whole lot of playmakers out there. And what we saw on Saturday was a whole lot of 
players who show they could be playmakers and difference makers and and get the ball up the field. And Brandon Gurney, we talked uh, you know two weeks ago about how important it was for BYU to get off to a real good start. That there could be a disaster waiting for them if they ended up being 0-3 or 0-4 in that. How does this change? How does this win maybe change that a little bit heading into this first home game? Oh, it changes so much. I mean, you could see it with the players and that we interviewed yesterday. Butch Powell, who, I mean, it's just like a weight was lifted off their shoulders because you never ultimately know exactly how something's going to turn out. And I think what's significant is the offense looked exactly like they said they wanted it to look. Multiple. And it looked like a BYU offense should look. Um, the, the go fast, go hard, it just never really seemed to fit what BYU should be athletically. It worked by and large. But offensive line play, that's where BYU's going to get an advantage over a lot of teams is with the line play. They can get those big bodies. They can recruit them. They can develop them. I mean, we make fun of people saying, oh, the, the age thing. And we argue it's not a factor. With the line, it's kind it's of a huge factor. factor. Yeah. I mean, with those, you, know, you take Christensen. Mm-hmm. Christensen's a freshman, but he's 21 or 22 years old. He's 200. 95, 300 pounds, six foot six. That's where you're going to see it is in the line play. And, and, and they have the right coach. And what we saw, I, I think, was significant. I think this is exactly the type of offense be where you should be. Brandon, a lot of use of the tight ends, uh, mostly in the second half, but throwing out of the backfield to backs in the flats mm-hmm. when people are overplaying. First play of the game. First play of the game. Overplaying, and yep. that, that worked. This, you know, it goes back to Aaron Roderick telling me back in the summer, he said, we're going to do a lot of things that you saw BYU do back in the good old days. We're going to see running backs become more of a part of this offense, and it's not necessarily carrying the ball, and it's being receivers, and we saw that a lot of them. On defense, a six foot nine spy. <laughs> that, that completely caught them off guard. I think Arizona I think was not preparing guard. for that. I, I mean, what we were thinking about, I mean, honestly, did you guys ever think, oh, they're going to put Corbin Kafusi on to spy him? I didn't. Well, was that even a possibility? Props to Tuiaki and, and the defensive brain trust for pulling that out. I mean, that's kind of a risky thing. It's very unique. I, I mean, you could just mail it in. Okay, our top safety is going to spy him. Uh, Taki Taki. During the broadcast, they they were thinking Taki Taki was spying him throughout the entire broadcast just because it's so extraordinary to have that guy do it. Corbin was fantastic. He was absolutely I, – I, he let – he tied for the team lead in tackles from the defensive end position. He was a game changer. You saw with Bronson in a lot of his games that he changed the game. He changed what an offense was able to do. I think you saw that from Corbin Kafusi, and that's a very positive development in that first game of the season where he can fulfill a, a big role like that and, and, and see a lot of success. One question, Mark, Brandon Gurney, and we'll get your comment on this too, Jeff, is that uh, we saw Chris Wilcox, who's got a tremendous amount of talent. He's very quick. But he's replaced late in that game or several times in the game by by some true freshman cornerbacks. Has he lost his job, Brandon, or is he ineffective? It's really frustrating because he's such a nice kid and he has such good speed. He's right on the guys, but the first two long passes, you're seeing the same thing as three years ago. And, and you compare a guy like Chris Wilcox, there's just an ability guys have. You have it or you don't, and you have to wonder, does Chris really have this? Can he really develop it? I mean, you look at a guy like Kai Nakua, it just comes naturally. They just know how to make plays on the ball. They know how to look for it. Chris doesn't have that. And after three years trying to develop that, maybe he'll never have that. I hope he does. I, I, I'm cheering for the kid. He's a nice kid. And, and, and he did defend the long ball better late in the game. Than he did coming out. So, 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 yeah, give him a few more chances, and we'll see if it develops. Jeff, what did you see in the replacement that came in? 
Well, I think that uh, this is kind of a calculated risk for, for the st- coaching staff to move Diane Guanualicu and Troy Warner from corner to safety. And they, you know, they told us during the offseason that they were going to put these guys in, these younger guys in, less experienced guys in, like Chris Wilcox, and and uh, and see how they do and try to give them some experience. And I think this is going to be something we're going to see throughout the season. I think you're going to see um, Sheldon and Wilcox. We're going to see some of these other guys uh, come in, D'Angelo Gunter and other guys that are, are true freshmen that will get a shot to show what they can do and kind of develop as the season goes. And and they're probably going to give us some big plays because of it. But I think for the long-term health of the program and the defense, I think this is what they want to do and, and kind of develop these guys uh, moving forward. Well, last year was a downer. Uh, Cougar Nation was down. It was depressing for a lot of people. Season ticket sales have been suffering because of that. Um, there was a lot of changes in this offensive coaching staff over the off season. a lot of switches around from positions and stuff like that. At the immediate availability, we had an opportunity to talk to Kalani Sataki about last year's impact on what's going on right now. I don't really care about last season. We care about this week, right now, the work that we're going to get done. You know, none of that last year factored into the preparation from January to now. So we're going to get ready. We, we won the game. We're happy. But now we're, getting, we're right back to work. You know, this is good holiday for everybody else, but not for us. We're right back to work. Our players are ready to work. They're ready to work out today and have a good practice. And, yeah, all we can focus on is, is trying to get this one, and it starts with the preparation today. And I think that will give us our confidence going into Saturday. You know, in the, the rest of the story uh, segment, Jeff, um, a lot of people, including people in this room uh, and on the national level, did not think BYU would go down there and win that game. In a lot of ways, it was a big disrespect to BYU and their tradition that they could not turn this season around, the program around, in in the course of eight months. A lot of people did not believe that. Some people still do not believe that. But there was signs that this is a whole new program, whole new attitude, another energy, and stuff like that. What do you make of this uh, this Arizona game? Is there a statement behind that? Is there another part of the story? What's the untold part? Well, I think uh, part of the untold story maybe or, or something that I noticed during that game was – you know, we heard all the hype about Khalil Tate, um, Heisman credentials, and what he did, especially in October last year, just running all over people. Um, you got to give a lot of credit to. Obviously, the offensive new offensive staff deserves a lot of credit for what they've done, but uh, the defense kind of flew under the radar a little bit. It was overshadowed by the offense during the off season. But I was really impressed with what uh, Coach Tuiaki and his staff were able to do. Um, it was. It seemed to me almost like that uh, Arizona's coaches figured, okay, we're going to use this first game. We're going to prove that Khalil Tate is a throwing quarterback. We're going to give him as many opportunities to do that, work out some kinks, and and be able to show that he can do it. And BYU wasn't going to allow that to happen. And I think you have to give, again, a lot of credit to BYU's uh, coaching staff. They outcoached Arizona. They flat out outcoached them. And like we talked about, the what they the way they used Corbin Kafusi was brilliant, and it worked out great. And uh, Khalil Tate struggled going downfield. He really couldn't, uh, he wasn't very accurate, and BYU got pressure on him, and it was a, I, I wouldn't be surprised if other teams uh, moving forward look at BYU's uh, film and the game plan they use against Khalil Tate, and they use that moving forward. It'll be interesting to see how he does the rest of the season. You know, we have a sponsor for the next portion of uh, what we're doing right now. Uh, this portion of the Cougar Insiders podcast is brought to you by CougarFan.com. 
Cougarfan.com is the latest news about your favorite Cougar team from across to women's soccer and the latest from the football or basketball teams. Cougarfan.com gives you the inside look at all things BYU. And, of course, what would a fan site be without a message board? Leave your hot takes or Cougar rumors all at Cougarfan.com. Thank that sponsor. And Brandon Gurney, the Internet Speaks. What do we know from the Internet? What can we talk about? Oh, a lot of hot takes, a lot of a lot of happiness. Man, it's been a long time since BYU fans Twitter were went crazy. happy and excited. It's wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually fun to watch BYU football again, you know. And and I think what fans invariably do, and I saw a lot of uh, posts, a lot of discussion, and good discussion about it, is where, where does this win rank in in the independence era and 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 you have to consider i think there's three primary games the two wins against texas 2013-2014 the win against nebraska in 2015 all those wins have a common theme which is why i am going to declare here the win on saturday was the biggest win in the independence era because all, all those teams, they weren't as good as you thought they were when BYU beat them. Uh, BYU just trounced Texas. It was amazing. It was like, wow, they can play with anyone in the nation. Holy cow. And then, oh, uh, other teams are doing that. Oh, that's still a nice win, right? So I don't know how Arizona's going to look for the rest of the season. So you have to just look inward and what it meant to the BYU program. Those teams that beat Texas twice in Nebraska, they knew what they were. You, it was a Bronco Mendenhall coach teams, and and it wasn't critical. This win was so critical for the validation of what of everything that's been going on for the last eight months within the program. It, 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 BYU was bad last year. I I think a lot of people forget just how bad that team was, and, and to go in against a, a quality opponent, Arizona's a, a a good team. I again, I don't know how well they're going to do, but for the fact. Factor that everything worked, everything that you put into the offensive staff, the game planning, the the practice uh, methodology that's been changed, everything worked, and it's just a huge validation, and it's a confidence builder, and it, it, to me, it's it's absolutely the biggest win for those factors. Well, you make a good point, and uh, Jeff, if you look at this game, um, the build up to it was that BYU had no chance, and that Arizona was a dark horse in the Pac-12 that they would be challenging probably for the South title that they had this great uh, player that uh, could do anything about any, you know, nine yards of carry last year, four straight Pac-12 Player of the Week, Offensive Player of the Week uh, honors, and that. And and then afterwards, BYU beats them, surprises people, shocks people. I mean, Reese Davis on ESPN said BYU had no answer for Tate. But now afterwards, it's like, well, they weren't any good anyway. Arizona's just always been sloppy. They're bad and stuff like that. How does BYU get respect from this one? Well, I think it's by coming out Saturday and showing the, that uh, they can still do more things and show more things. I think, uh, you know, like you said, Arizona is a program that's, uh, you know, over the years has been had a few up years, been, you know, me- mediocre years and some bad years. Uh, coming into the season, Arizona was hyped up about as much as I've heard in quite a while. And a lot of that was because of Khalil Tate. And I think this game specifically, BYU coming off such a bad season, I think I think we tend to underestimate a little bit, especially in college football, how things can change in a short period of time. Some coaching changes, having guys healthy, um, things like that can really, you know, we tend to uh, maybe over-exaggerate or we tend to look at the, the recent history and a recency bias, I guess. And I'll admit, I'm, I'll admit, I didn't think there was any 
any way BYU is going to win this game because I thought it was going to take a long time for the offense to get going, for them to find themselves. But they came up with the right game plan. They had the right people in the right places, the right mentality, the stuff that we've been hearing about for months during the offseason about the culture, about establishing a dominance, starting with the offensive line. And we've been hearing that for months and months and months, and now they finally went out and proved it. And so, yeah, moving forward, starting Saturday, they've got a chance to play and beat another Pac-12 team. And if they can do that, then I think BYU's on their way to maybe establish themselves as, you know, overcoming what they, maybe the damage they did to themselves, to the program brand last year. Let's talk a little bit about recruiting. We were down in the desert, just a little bit north of where we were in Tucson, up in uh, the Phoenix area. Jacob Conover, a quarterback who was committed, a four-star quarterback, had quite the night. And Brandon Green, let's talk to you about this recruiting weekend um, of prospects and how they did. It's wow! Is it a positive thing? A, a lot of these guys, and I've mentioned before, I, I, I take a guy like Chase Roberts, a guy who's firmly committed, and he believes he's firmly committed, but a guy that's going to have a lot of other opportunities. He's already scheduled some other trips and all that. And, and I maintain if BYU laid an egg again this year, like they did last year, these guys are going to start looking elsewhere. There's no question. But I think with a win like that, this confirms to guys like that that BYU is largely the program that they committed to. It's yeah, they can beat these teams that they can do it it's a huge thing it it is a big thing uh, um the only thing bigger would be beating utah <laughs> that's going i i can't tell you how big of a thing that is as far as the local recruiting scene goes uh you saw a bump before kalani lost his first game to utah um uh, you were able to still recruit in that but these wins recruits really react i mean these are teenagers they're emotional they see wins. They get hyped. They 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 want to play for that program. So absolutely a big deal for on the recruiting front. And Jacob Conover, if you hadn't have a chance, the Deseret News Brandon Judd went down there with a the video crew, and he uh, did a great uh, story down there with some tape and interviews of uh, uh, Jacob Conover. I think he had was it three or four touchdowns in that game that they had. Uh, a very good performance for him. Let's break down the Bears. BYU will be hosting the Cal Bears in the Pac-12, another Pac-12, an opportunity to go 2-0 in the Pac-12 without even being a member of that conference. Uh, California is improved. Uh, two years ago, they, they were the, one of the worst defenses in the Pac-12. They made a coaching change. They, they were a little bit better this past year. They got a returning quarterback in Ross Bowers, who was a 3,000-yard passer. All of their offensive linemen uh, returned. Uh, Jeff called. They got receivers uh, Kanai Noah, Vic Wharton, and Demetrius Robertson. Um, Robertson had 50 catches as a freshman, 67 last year. And uh, I think offensively, uh, they might pose some problems for BYU in a more organized way than we saw out of uh, out of the Wildcats. Yeah, so it's an interesting kind of a different challenge this week. So obviously, for months during the off season, everyone knew BYU knew they need to prepare for Khalil Tate. And they knew exactly who they were going to get, and they had tons of uh, film on him and things like that. This week, we enter a situation where Cal Cal has three quarterbacks. They used three quarterbacks last Saturday. They don't seem to have a, a determined starter. So now the challenge for BYU's defense is: okay, we got to prepare for possibly two or three different guys. And like uh, Arizona, they've got a lot of talent, a lot of uh, athletic ability and speed, and so that's something that, that they're going to have to have to deal with. On the defensive side, Justin Wilscox, like you mentioned, uh, Cal's coach, he's a defensive guy. He's a <clears throat> defensive guru, and and he's really, you know, for years, Cal's had this reputation of being under Sonny Dykes. Kind of soft. 
soft and mostly an offensive team, throw up a lot of points, but can't stop anybody. Mm-hmm. And now Cal has kind of established themselves more as a team that uh, defensive-minded, and they've got some pretty good defensive lines. It's going to be a good test for BYU's offensive line. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, how that goes this week. Brandon Gurney, what does BYU have to do in this home game? Uh, we, we don't know how the crowd's going to be. The crowd's been down. Season tickets have been down. But with a win like that, you might think that the uh, student section should be packed. There should be a lot of enthusiasm among students to show up for this game. And people might be buying some tickets where they maybe let them go. So the energy level should be there. But what does BYU have to do on the heels of a win at Arizona to come out and, and, and really get the job done in front of their home crowd? Um, Kalani said in his interview that it's going to get tougher against Cal, and usually that's just coach speak, but, but I believe that's the truth. I, I don't believe that Arizona, uh, was really prepared well for, for what BYU showed them. I think they underestimated the opponent. I don't think they had a good game plan. I think Cal's going to have a much better game plan going in. Not, nothing really that blows you away. Uh, uh beating North Carolina 24-17 at home. It's like, oh, well, all right, good. So what, you know, but, um, but they did win and, uh, not a lot of passing yards. You look at these quarterback stats, they look like they're going to struggle throwing the ball, uh, which might be a really good thing for BYU and <laughs> not, not exploiting BYU deep and all that for the second week in a row. Looks like that, that very well might be the case. I, I, I don't believe Cal's going to pose as big a test as Arizona does, did offensively, but I think defensively they're going to be much better. They've got a lot of speed in their secondary. They got a pretty good defensive line. They're pretty stout up front. Uh, they're going to pressure Tanner Magnum. They're going to give him, uh, I think, a little bit uh, more different looks and come after him. And Tanner needs to manage that. I think at times in the game against Arizona, he managed it very well. And other times he kind of got happy feet, kind of got loose, and, and he didn't give enough time to, to make a play work when, when maybe if he just held on just a, a minute or two, or not a minute, but a second or two longer, <laughs> he would have uh, found something. somebody and made a play. <laughs> a minute. Anyway, final word, Jeff Call, final word of the uh, of this segment here, this podcast. Well, again, looking ahead to Saturday, I think uh, the next challenge for, for this offense is the fact that this is a different situation where there's now stuff on tape. We now know what Jeff Grimes' offense looks like. Now, how many, how many more wrinkles will they have? I don't know. I would expect some. I would expect BYU to show some new things. Uh, maybe other guys will be involved that we didn't see on Saturday. Maybe a Gunnar Romney, maybe Bo Hodge, if they're healthy and ready to go. Um, add a couple more weapons to the repertoire of the offense. So, again, this is something where BYU is going in a situation where they're going to be at home. They've got some momentum. I mean, they were never this high at any point last year. I mean, this is they're starting kind of fresh. And chance to build some momentum. Uh, we know how tough this September schedule is. This is a chance to get a win, a game that they should win because they're at home. And I believe they've got the talent to do it. Brandon Gurney, they have a chance to be 2-0. and that, That's saying a lot from where they ended last year. Your final word. Yeah, you now expect BYU to win. Uh, uh, going into the season, you thought this might be a toss-up game, but you absolutely expect BYU to win this game. I think it's going to be lower scoring. I think it's going to be 23-16 BYU. I, I don't, I, I'm just not sold on Cal offensively. I think they're figuring out a lot of things. And I think BYU will take advantage of that. I thought the linebacking play was outstanding for BYU. Uh, last game, talkie talkie switching to linebacker, absolutely the right decision. And Bush Powell's healthy, and it makes a huge difference. Yep, and, and, and I think they're going to limit what Cal does. I'd be surprised if Cal was able to score more than twenty points. My final word is BYU's trying to 
play kind of a power game. They're putting two tight ends in on some sets to run the ball. They're trying to push the ball down the field with running backs, with jet sweeps. They're trying to own that line of scrimmage and, and, and impose their will on opposing defenses. I think they continue to do that. They try to do that. And I think if they, they're able to do that in the fourth quarter, um, the, the altitude, uh, we've seen um, the University of Arizona, I don't think their conditioning is very good. I don't know how Cal's is, but sometimes Pac-12 teams, except for Utah and maybe Washington have been see- and Stanford, have been seen as maybe teams that are just not very strong and tough. UCLA showed that this past week. And uh, I think if BYU gets in the fourth quarter and are ahead or with the lead or in controlling the, the line of scrimmage, that will be huge. Hey, thanks for uh, joining us on this uh, edition of the Cougar Insiders podcast. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast. Find it wherever you look for podcasts. You can also send us an email at cougarinsiders at deseretnews.com. We appreciate your uh, following us, and uh, please join us next week.